0: God's grace and peace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ which also gives us the wisdom and the strength we need to live a life free of the imposture and the be in the reality of the meaning of what it means to be God's child. Amen. In in Mark's gospel there is a quote that rolls around in my head pretty often. It's in chapter 8. He's talking to his disciples about taking up the cross and living a life of losing their life to find it again, and this is what he says. What does it profit a person if they gain the entire world and yet lose their own soul? With that one phrase, Jesus tells us the meaning of life. To save your soul. All other things you're trying to get, even boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, children, home, job, health is not the meaning of life. Think of how much focus and time we spend on everything else when in fact it doesn't profit you a bit if you get anything good in this life including your health if you lose your soul that problem of thinking it's all about looking at the tree to see if the fruit is good to eat like Adam and Eve of this life instead of being concerned about your soul being connected to God and safe in His truth and love. That problem is the problem that Jesus continually hounded at in the very short three-year ministry that He had teaching. So, I quoted from Mark, but today we have a parable found only in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus tells the story of a rich man and... What? Lazarus, right? It's the only parable that Jesus taught where he named one of the people. And the name Lazarus means one whom God helps. If you study the parables and you, you see Jesus teaching them, you can look at the context of the parable and you can find out so much more about why he told it and that will help you know the meaning. I went out and found these pictures of Jesus. They talk about the meaning of life. The common denominator in every picture, there are two common denominators. The first one is that Jesus is in every picture. There is no getting your soul saved or safe without that man. We know that. He is our Savior. And the grace of God came through him as he lived the perfect life... And died an innocent death in our place so that we would be forgiven and saved. And we have learned the mercy of God. And we know as guilty sinners that without him we are not saved. And the meaning of life is that man. When you look at that man, who is the meaning of our life and our salvation, what do you see him doing in all those pictures? He's loving people he's raising a little girl from the dead, he's healing a blind man, he's feeding the hungry, and he's telling the children how much he loves them, even though their parents and the disciples kept trying to pull them away. He loves people. How can you tell, according to Jesus and the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, and according to this picture, if one of us is saved? You can't read my heart. I can recite to you all the truths of salvation myself. You can't tell if I'm saved. The only inkling that the scriptures give is how I treat people. Do you remember when Jesus asked Peter after he rose from the dead and Peter had denied him and he's reinstating him? and He says, Peter, do you what? Do you love me? If your soul is saved, truly you are back with God and you understand everything I've said so far about the mercy of God for you, you guilty sinner. You love God. But the only way I can tell if you love God is if you love what he loves. Because when you really love someone, you love them and love what they love. So what did Peter, Jesus say to Peter? He said, if you love me, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my lambs love people remember Peter had just gone fishing which was his temptation to be his prophet the whole world it's what he loved to do more than anything else in the world he says Peter if you love me I want to see you love people like I love people now the context of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus Jesus, it says right before it, Luke says, Jesus knew that the Pharisees, as religious as they were, these were the religious professionals, these were the clergy type, that they really had a love for money and worldly wealth. That's what occupied their thoughts, even more than the religion they talked about so much as Jews. And they thought a lot about how they were doing with their 401k and their houses, and their debts, and how they looked compared to other people, and whether their car was two years old or 10, or whether they could drive or not, or they're, they're, they, were, they had a nice sized TV to watch the big games. They thought a lot about their worldly position. And he knew that many of them, because of that, as religious as they were, when you started talking about their real poverty, even though they had things, and they were the upper middle class, when you talked about their real poverty, they would harden their hearts. I'm, not, I'm, I'm blessed by God. I'm important in His church. I believe all the teachings of Moses. I'm fine. But actually, they loved the world and not God. So Jesus, the masterful teacher, did this so often. He did it with two sons, and just just a few verses earlier, you see it in Luke 15, the prodigal son and the good son, which both of them were really prodigal. He used two people, and he makes a contrast by telling a story, totally fictitious story, but so real life that it drives a point home. And when you listen to the parable, it gets behind your defenses like, I don't really need this or you are really a crazy itinerant preacher that we're, judged, we're, we're looking, you know, watching over you anyway, and it makes you, you can't forget the story. I bet any of you could tell this story and get it almost exactly right because you've heard it at least once. And that's all it takes with the rich man and Lazarus, two people. Almost as if there's no other people in the, on the planet, the story focuses you in on two people. And they're very well contrasted. And what happens when you today, because you're not a Pharisee, I'm not a Pharisee. We're here in 21st century, American Christians trying to grow in faith. That's why we came to church today. When we read this parable, what Jesus wants to do with it is to save your soul and keep it safe in true relationship with God. So as you listen to it and I teach it, you let God just talk to you. Don't worry about anybody else, even the Pharisees. But listen to the first paragraph. Jesus is talking to you. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Could there be a greater contrast? A rich man has his own fence with the... Push pad out front so nobody can come in way out by the street, right? Because without getting the gate open, it's a gated community of one big house, right? And a beggar laying at his gate. Let's say you're the preacher today. You can interact with me for just a moment, okay? What do you... What would you say would be, I use a gated community, what would you say would be our, if Jesus were telling the parable today, what he would say today about the rich man? Throw something out there. There was a rich man who had fine clothes. What would you say? Shopped at? What? Nordstrom's? Okay. Had no hand-me-downs? Maybe? Right, what else would you say? Drove a very nice car, right? Not one of those $25,000 jobs, you know. We're talking 50000 75000 and it's only a couple years old, right? He updated. He'd look at people's bathrooms and say, they look pretty dated. He updated that often. He was kept it up, right? His yard was manicured, and if he couldn't get to it, he'd just hire somebody to do it, right? His kids had all of the latest video games, Whatever, right? You, I'm trying to get you to talk, but I keep talking. Right? What would Jesus say about the poor guy today? Who would that be if he were telling the story? Homeless, Homeless right? That's a, a word that covers so much for us. What? Lived in a project, a government project. Maybe a cardboard was, he was familiar with, right? Holding it up. Or sleeping in a box, cardboard box. Tattered clothes. Right? Had a wrap had a wrap sheet. No food. no food. Didn't know where he's gonna get the next meal. Had to ask for it, right? Didn't have anything in the bank. Maybe didn't even have a bank account. PTSD. Has PTSD. <laughs> Just from living on the street you could get that, right? But for whatever, right? There was a, a man that was very comfortable, and a man that was very uncomfortable, and he, he wished he could just go around and dig in the trash of the rich man and eat what fell from his table, and what he had, instead of his clothing was talked about was he had only his only friends, really, were not friends at all. They were dogs exploiting his sores, licking him. Couldn't get a bigger contrast, could you? That's amazing. And your mind is like saying, oh. Now, there are people that will read this and say, yeah, I relate more to the poor man and those bad rich people. Right? But actually, just follow Jesus and what he's saying very carefully. And let him talk to your heart. We would imagine that God is blessing this rich man. Because, I'll tell you that, because we imagine God is blessing us when we get economic breakthroughs. Raises, bills paid off, right? Feeling pretty good about where we are. God is good. So infrequently do I think myself, or hear any of you say, when everything's going south financially, is this is a sign that God is good. That God is blessing me. So we have this same kind of tendency to believe God is saying to the rich man, you're one of the Remember Jesus telling the parable to the religiously good people. You're one of the good people. And there's got to be a reason, oh, Lazarus is laying at the gate. And it's got to be entirely his own fault. And our imagination would say, "God God is not blessing him. And we don't know the reason why, but he is not blessing that man, Lazarus. But what's his name mean? The one whom the Lord helps. So actually, Jesus is already saying, Lazarus is actually blessed by God. He, the Lord is helping him. And this, I want to park right there and just say, this is something very important to understand about any th- possession you have. Wealth is not good or bad, and poverty is not good or bad. If you want to know if something really matters in life, ask yourself, does it survive death? Then you'll know if it really matters. You cannot define good or bad based on poverty or wealth, ever. That's shallow reasoning. That's normal human reasoning. It does not survive. The poverty of Lazarus did not survive death. The poverty was not all that important anymore when he died. Neither was the wealth of the rich man. Neither one survives death. The only thing that really matters in life is what survives death, what continues to live. And for these two men, as you know the parable, and I'm about to read the next section, what goes on beyond death? The soul, the person you are, the human being that's alive and thinking and feeling and relating and being spiritual. It's all that matters. And yet, you and I are so tempted to focus on the idols that are passing by in a temporal world that we want them to matter to the point where our soul is either bitter or sad that we don't have it or scared or anxious or happy and content and filled up with the good things of this life. But neither one, bitter, sad, or empty or anxious or filled with contentment with what I just described, has neither soul has God. But in this story... One of them knows that God is helping him. And it's not the rich man. It's Lazarus. So watch what happens. The time came. You might circle that because that time is coming for you, my friend. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. All this time, he's actually been Abraham's child by faith. Remember that whole theology of the Bible? Children of Abraham are those who are really children of Abraham because they have the same faith as Abraham. Trusting God against all their own senses because God had made promises to Abraham that didn't look like he was going to keep them. He went to Abraham's side. All this time, he's been actually the one close to God, even while it looked like God was dumping on him. The rich man also died. Everyone dies. The rich man died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. What does he sound like? A beggar. Hmm. They see the contrast that out flips. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony and fire. You see the, the important truths here about life? You know what the real deal is? It's not. When you sit around and assess your life based on anything worldly, that's not the real deal. That's the impostor. The real deal is what it's going to be like in your eternal home. And so Jesus tells those Pharisees, and he tells you in your heart, what you want to be thinking about and obsessing about the most is where are you going to spend eternity? (laughs) Not where you are in life right now on earth. Where are you going to spend eternity? And so when you see these guys at their final destination and you hear how bad it is, you say, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be in Hades so suffering that I'd want someone to just touch their finger in water to touch my tongue, like that would make a big difference in my existence. Go on, verse 25. Abraham replied, Son, i got to stop there. Jesus doesn't waste any words. Why did Jesus have Abraham say, to this rich man who was a, in the story, was a rich Jew. Why did he have him say to him, In hell, son. He didn't call him by name. Remember, the, the rich man has no name. His identity was found in his wealth. If you find your identity in wealth, you'll have no name with God as well. He calls him son, though. Remember what the Pharisees were always running around saying, thinking they were blessed by God? We are what? We are sons of Abraham. And Jesus said, don't think that being sons of Abraham by blood means anything at all. God can make these stones be sons of Abraham. Remember? Right? So there are going to be sons of Abraham, and you use that metaphorically, in hell. Because you can't go by what's on the outside. It's what's in the heart. He says, my son, not my son, just son. Remember? You've already forgotten. Remember in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Just some smaller things that are very big in life for us to understand are being taught here in parabolic form. parables really have only one or maybe two main points but here we can see jesus also laying the groundwork for an understanding about eternity so that your soul will be worried about where you spend eternity what do you catch about eternity by what i just read to you this just this last minute okay There's there's no in between so there's no purgatory there's no limbo what else It's permanent. There's no changing it. So when's the time to figure this out? Before you die, right? In this lifetime, right now, because you don't know if you're going to live tomorrow, right? The urgency that he's giving. Now remember, this is Jesus who's going to die in a few weeks. He knows when each of the Pharisees are going to die, and it's not that long, relatively speaking, right? Is it that long between now and when you die? No, it's not. And it could be sooner than you think. So the urgency is raised when he says, You can't, he can't even come and relieve your suffering. And you can't leave there, and he can't leave there. And remember, in your short lifetime, you had all those comforts, and you thought that was the meaning of life and Lazarus didn't have any comforts, and you thought that was the meaning of life. Actually, the meaning of life all along has been being a true child of Abraham by faith, being the one that knows in their heart, I'm the one whom the Lord helps. I am the one whom the Lord helps with mercy and forgiveness and grace. I am tied to God through mercy. And you would not be bitter. And Lazarus never says was bitter because he was poor. It just says he longed for relief, right? There's a difference. Lazarus had faith. And he says, remember, this is is what reality really is. The real issue is eternity. Do You see what I'm trying to do for you as I show you the parable? I know you're here in church today because you want this. You cat up early to come at 8 a.m. You want this in your life. But I know that when you leave here, and you, one or two or five of you sits down to watch a football game, some financial company that wants to get your business for arranging your finances is going to make you worry about whether you have enough, and they'll help you have enough, for the few years between ending your working career and dying, that they think and you think, because you look at the averages and the stat tables, that you've got to get all anxious and worried about, And they're going to get you all into your feeling of worth and value based upon your money. And I know that's going to happen to some of you because it happens to me. And I preach this stuff, right? And I know that you look down the road with people's cars and how they're doing in retirement. Some of you are retired here. And you think, oh, my life is really a disappointment. Or, oh, my life is really, I did it. And neither one is real because none of that matters. It doesn't last. It's so temporary, right? And for us who live in this time and space, and this is all we really know experientially, spirituality, the Savior has to raise this up and raise the bottom on us so we'll listen again and get our hearts right with God by listening to him and what he's saying. And that's what Jesus is doing to us. Now, for a moment, this is where it gets a little bit even trickier. The rich man sounds like he's starting to be converted in hell. Now, he's converted to the reality that hell is real and heaven is real and that he ain't there in heaven and that this is permanent. He's got that. But now it sounds like he's even starting to be a little bit what? Loving? So he gets off his, his own subject and this is what he says. I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Who knows what he means by they have Moses and the prophets? What does he mean? the old testament that's the way the jews talked about the old testament it was their only written bible at the time because the new testament's being written right so they have the bible they have the writings that they didn't use the word bible until way 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 late in our english language actually so they have the word of god remember he said send lazarus from the dead to talk to them they have the word of god Abraham replied, "They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen." Verse thirty. No, Father. Now this is interesting. You have now figured out you were the biggest fool on earth by not uh, knowing what reality was, and you actually are going to teach Abraham something while you're in hell. No, Father Abraham. If someone from the dead goes to them, they will what? Repent. That's a huge word. It's the meaning of the parable don't miss that they will repent of their love for the world instead of love for God their selfishness their sinfulness their desire to get mercy from a forgiving God that helps Lazarus he said to them if they do not to him if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be convinced everybody read this with me even if someone rises from the dead now this is terribly interesting i can't pass it up jesus is talking to the Pharisees who are going to be part of the community that does what to him? Puts him to death. Crucifies him and puts him to death. And what's going to happen on the third day? He's going to rise. And what's going to happen to these Pharisees? Many of them. No change. Even if Jesus rises from the dead, they won't be convinced. Why does Jesus tell them is the reason they don't believe they won't, they won't repent? Because they won't what? They won't listen to the word of God in their hearts. They won't listen to the word of God in their hearts. How does God convert people? Not by signs and miracles, not by tongue speaking, not by healing, not by raising the dead. Jesus led his disciples to do all that. He did all of that. But none of that leads a person to repentance. What leads a person to repentance is the confrontation with your soul that you are a sinner who's woefully accountable to God, and yet God, in His love and mercy, has decided to completely pay the whole payment for you because He loves people that much. You are the beggar, and He—you are the Lazarus whom He helps. The Lord helps Lazarus. And when you say, I am Lazarus, I am a beggar. I don't care what my bank account looks like. I am poor. I need God. And you say, my soul is the most important thing to me. Not any of this. I just want God. He says, you are repenting and God is giving you Jesus. And when you look at him, that's the second half of repentance. You trust that you're loved and forgiven. And while you're honest about being a sinner, you're not depressed because you're redeemed and you're changed, okay? Who else was raised from the dead just a few weeks before Jesus? A man named Lazarus. Now, interestingly, that Lazarus was wealthy in their day. They could entertain lots of people in their home. But Lazarus was raised. And what does it say in John's gospel that they wanted to do with Lazarus after he was risen from the dead? They wanted to kill him because it was a miracle of resurrection. They still would not repent. And this is just amazing how, imagine one of these guys who's hearing Jesus living through what, what happened a few months later. What, what love Jesus had for these men that he would set all this up to, 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 to put that plow into the hard pan of their heart and try to break up the hardness of their heart so the gospel could be planted there to give them faith. He just loved them so much. Oh, wait a minute, they're gone. He loves you so much that he would say to you I am telling you the meaning of life is me who came to save you and not these things you, ang- you get anxious about mad about or excited about in this planet right listen to the word that's all I'm doing up here is saying words listen to the word okay so how do we know remember how I started how do we know that you are listening to the word. Not, not just loving your family. Jesus once said to the Pharisees, the pagans love their families. Right? He said at the same time, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, God rains water on the evil and the good. There were a lot, this water was wonderful to get this morning, but it rained on some pretty bad folks' lawn and Ranches too, didn't it? <laughs> God is that gracious and that good. What, when you, what did you see in that, that picture at the beginning? What mattered most to Jesus? People. What people? What people, Stacy? All people. You mean even the really bad ones? Yes. You mean the poor ones that got themselves there by being stupid and mean and selfish? Yes. He loves all people. And what's your biggest problem, even though you say you're right with God in your heart? Loving all people. Don't tell me you're not selective. I know you are because I know I am. And it's a huge struggle in our lives because part of you is converted and the other part is is your unbelieving nature, your selfish, sinful nature that is so unconverted. And the two vie for your opinion. That's why you're going to hang on to this. You're refreshed. You're calmed by it. You know that Jesus is your Savior. And yet you're going to hit face to face with all the old temptations when you walk out of here. And all I'm trying to do for Jesus' sake is to strengthen you to be a Lazarus. I would like for you to ask yourself this question, but it really has, it's a play on words, the word matter. What's the matter with your life? In other words, what's the big thing that matters the most to you? That's the first one. You ask yourself that question, and you can tell by what's been occupying your feelings the most. Is it that wonderful Savior or all your stuff? Secondly, I want you to ask it the way you maybe thought at first. What is wrong? What's the matter with your life? You know how this Word of God is affecting you? Do something radical. Look at how you have been selective about loving people and do something radical with your life and love some people you've been refusing to love. Apologize unconditionally to someone you've been to saying no if they will just, I'll know that they'll accept it beautifully and it'll be a great thing going on forward from there. I'll do it, but not if they won't, and I don't think they will. Therefore, I won't apologize. Stop that. Love people that you're not used to loving. Start something new for the people in your life or the, in your community that you know are needy that you've never helped before. Stop driving past them without seeing them. See Lazarus. And refuse to think any thought of what you think about other people without first getting to know them and ask them who they really are inside. You know you'll be surprised both directions, right? Because the meaning of life is that God has saved your soul. And as a saved soul filled with mercy, you love to be a merciful person to other people. You love doing that. And when you're doing that, you will feel more human and more settled and more in sync with what God's doing in your life than ever trying to figure out your bank account. Amen.